I want today to set before you this theme that we began some three months ago, that being Lucifer's longing. And uh, as I mentioned at the time, this rather unusual title has been upon my own heart, these unusual lines that we've been reading, because of the recent, relatively recent, uh, messages on Christian worship. And uh, I was really blessed by one particular message, it was on a Wednesday night, and Brother Harris was speaking upon contemporary music. I was really blessed by that, and I think it's greatly needed uh, to be heard from the pulpit in these last of the last days. So that gives you some idea why I believe the Lord, at least, is leading me in this particular line, thinking here about Lucifer's longing. Again, I would say that uh, Dr. Cairns, I would agree with him, I agree or disagree with Dr. Cairns, but I do agree with him here. He says, generally it is believed that the language of Isaiah 14 as well as Ezekiel 28 has its deepest and truest meaning in reference to Satan. Isaiah 14, verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? Verse number 14. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. So here is Lucifer. He's been cast out. But he has his desire returning. He feels that heaven is the place where he should be. And he says he's going to ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. That's his longing. Believe it or not, that's within the heart, as we've read here, and mind of Lucifer himself. Satan is a created being. And I'm going to lay something of the foundation again today. Satan is a created being according to Colossians 1 and verse 16. For by him, that is the Lord, were all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were made by him and for him. Exodus 20 verse 11 reveals that Satan was created within the six days of Genesis 1. So that gives us the time frame so far as his beginning was concerned. He fell obviously before Adam and Eve. How could he tempt Adam and Eve to sin if he himself had not already fallen into sin? So let us remember this is his beginning so far as Satan's creation is concerned. The name given to him in Isaiah 14 and 12, Lucifer, means light bearer or shining one or day star, which may explain how he can so easily transform himself into an angel of light. He was full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. He is described as the anointed cherub that covereth or protecteth, perhaps one of the highest angels or one of the chief angels. He was created perfect and remained perfect until the day that sin entered him. Now because of his wisdom and beauty, he was lifted up with pride, desiring to be like the Most High God. We've read that. He desires to be like the Most High God. He was not content with his first estate or his high post of service. He wanted to go higher still. 
It's interesting that in verse 13, he spoke of sitting upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north, perhaps thinking of heaven. But uh, the divine conclusion is this, this verse number 15, he has said that he will be brought down to the hell, to the sides of the pit. So while perhaps he's thinking, he has this ambition, the sides of the north it would seem was the place where the temple was built, perhaps he was thinking of heaven, because in this verse 15 he's told that he will be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Now due to his rebellion, he along with a third part of the vast angelic host, his wicked spirits now, that he led in the mutiny, were cast out from the presence of God in heaven. He makes now his abode principally in the earth, in the air above the earth. He still, however, has a limited access to heaven. And to gain permission, that's rather something of a mystery to us, isn't it? Job chapter 1 makes that clear. Represents the devil praying, seeking permission from God to assault and to accuse the brethren. Now, what I want to emphasize, having said all that, is this. That and these will be our two main thoughts today. Just as he was lifted up with pride and fell, so he seeks to lift us up with pride, misery loves company, that we might also fall. Now, I've looked at that already. I'm going to be very brief in my review there. But secondly, we're going to focus on this. Just as his desire to be worshipped led to his demise, led to his humiliation, so now he focuses his attacks upon the worship, including the music, upon the worship of the church, to pervert it and usurp it, that the church might come under the displeasure of God. Now, first of all, then, he seeks to fill us with pride that we might sin, that we might further sin. According to Exodus 28 and verse 12, Lucifer, as we have noted, was full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Verse 13 gives us a very colorful, a vivid picture of his great beauty. He was not just trimmed, but he was covered with precious stones, sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onks, jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, and gold. Now that's quite a list. According to verse number 14, he looked as though he were on fire. He was a blaze of beauty. And in verse 17, we're told that with regard to his spectacular beauty, his heart was lifted up with pride. Now, and I have seen more of this as I've gone on in my own Christian walk, pride is the most terrible thing with fearful consequences. For it not only dug hell and damned the devil, it has been damning the millions of men and women ever since. And it has ruined countless Christian lives, testimonies, and usefulness. I would say this, let us beware. God hates pride, for he sees what it has done to the apex of his creation. To you and me. We have absolutely nothing to be proud of. By nature, we are vile. We are totally depraved. We are desperately wicked, and sin shames us. Oh, how it shames us. And we are what we are 
by God's grace alone as the people of God. Let us beware. Let us be clothed. Here's a piece of clothing that we should never leave our homes without. Let us be clothed with humility and seek to walk humbly with our God. So we're going to leave the review there this morning and come now, Lord willing, to fresh territory. And we're going to consider, secondly, desires on the part of Satan to be worshipped. So that's our second thought, satanic desire on his part to be worshipped, to be adored. Isaiah 14, verse number 11. Thy pomp is brought down to the grave, and the noise of thy vial. So not only is he brought down, but his music is brought down with him. Do you ever think of that? Thy pomp is brought down to the grave, and the noise, the noise of thy vials. Now as far as I can ascertain, the vial is a member of the violin family. It's a stringed instrument. And Ezekiel 28 speaks of the workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes. So it seems that he was capable. I mean, if it we're capable of using these things, certainly he is. Capable of using tablets, pipes, and vials, for he was musical. Uh, an orchestra, we're told, consists of three sections or types of instruments. The, the stringed instruments including the viol or the violin. Also the uh, wind instruments, the pipes, and uh, the percussion instruments. I'm thinking especially there of the tablets. So Satan was, we could say, and I need to be very careful here, the choir director. Not only is it the choir director, but the music, the worship leader in heaven. And giving the triune God all the glory. But at some point, sin entered his heart. And he crossed over the line. It's entirely possible for us to be lifted up in worship today and to cross the line. It's entirely possible for me in the preaching of the word to be lifted up and cross the line from the spirit into the flesh. Uh, so we need to be careful how we end as well as how we begin. So, at some point, sin entered his heart. He was lifted up with pride. And the worship leader wanted himself to be worshipped. And immediately God cast him out of heaven. He was disgraced in front of all his fellow angels. An innumerable company. Can you imagine I was trying to think of some situation whereby I could better understand this. I was thinking of a presbyter. All the ministers and all the elders together. And some particular poor individual is being upbraided from the chair, from the moderator. And he's disgraced in front of all his fellow ministers and fellow elders. Well, in this case, all that innumerable host of angels. In front of them, Satan was disgraced. And ever since then, he has made worship, church worship, his great point of attack. He's focused his attack on this worship, the worship of the church, so that now he's the great perverter of it and the usurper of this worship.
Now, just to show you how brazen he is in this area, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 4? Matthew chapter 4, and we're reading here something of the temptation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 4, and verse number 3. Notice how he begins. When he came to the tempter, he said, If thou be the Son of God. In other words, he questions his dignity. He questions his deity. He questions his right to be worshipped. If thou be the Son of God. Verse number 6. And he saith unto him, this is how he begins again, If thou be the Son of God. Uh, then he begins to quote scripture. Christ, of course, quoted the scripture. That was a spiritual quoting. Uh, the devil also misquotes scripture. That is the most wicked thing. But uh, this is what's taking place here uh, during this great temptation. And he said, uh, Cast thyself down, as it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and their hands shall dash Lest, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone, if thou be the Son of God. In other words, he wanted Christ, in essence, to commit suicide, to destroy himself. He didn't want him to get to the cross. That would end his worship forever. And then in verses 8 and 9, again, he doesn't give up easy. The devil taketh them up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth them the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, all these things, the cheek of them, as though he owned all these things. And he says, If you just fall down and worship me, all these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. This is what he's been after all the time. He wanted to usurp the worship. He wanted the worship for himself. He actually wanted the Son of God to fall down and worship him, who alone is worthy of all worship, any worship. Pride really is a form of self-worship. You know that there is a sense in which we have something of this satanic nature. Satan was the first sinner, not Adam. And while transmitted to us is the damnic, this sinful nature, it seems to me at least that we have something at least of the satanic nature. This desire to be accepted, this desire to be adored, this, this desire to be idolized or to be worshipped. Now, now let me try and prove it to you very briefly this morning. And I know this is not true in every case, but I certainly believe it is true in the vast majority of cases. You're part of a group photograph. And when you see the first picture of that photograph, who's the first person you look for? Who's the first person that you look for? And if it's a good photograph of you, it's a great photo. If it isn't, it's a bad photo. You say, well, it's just natural. I suppose it is. But is that a spiritual thing? 
And we get this desire from this wicked one. He wants to be worshipped. And Satan comes right into the worship service. He can't wait till the service begins. In fact, he's been active as best he can be in the lives of God's people before the service. And he is here. As much as we pray him out, must pray him out, still he has a desire to be here meeting amongst the saints of God in this worship service, and he tries to get his own back. He tries to revert it, to usurp it, to bring it into disarray. He can do that in a number of ways. He can do it through formality, drawing near to the Lord with the lips, but the heart all the while far from God. That's a facade. That's not worship. But uh, through this matter of formality, heartless worship is meaningless. And he seeks to pervert worship in this way. He also seeks to do it through verbality, irreverence. We read there in that psalm we sung, in the opening psalm, Psalm 89, verse 7, that uh, he is to be feared. Not only feared, the Holy Ghost gives us the emphasis, he is to be greatly feared. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of his saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. That's me and that's you. Worshipping him in spirit and in truth. Now, he is a gifted musician. This is his area of expertise. And he can pervert worship by introducing music that is questionable. Mm, not so sure about that. Is that appropriate for the house of God? Who's behind it? Devilish. It's the devil. I'm not saying he's promoting here today in this church with the drum kit, something that needs something overt, but he's more subtle. But ultimately, Satan is the author. So it can be described as devilish. He introduces worship that is questionable, inappropriate, sensual, pleasing to the senses, pleasing to the flesh, but displeasing to the Lord. And I tell you, here's an area as we come to the end of the age, that we're going to need great discernment. Great discernment. Increasing pressure we brought to bear upon us to conform to the religious standards of our music and worship is concerned. And we must be determined to resist. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. And we must prepare to be misunderstood, to be misrepresented, as we seek to stand and resist this declining trend so far as the worship is concerned. What is the great purpose of worship? Is it to entertain us? Is it to bring enjoyment to us? Now, so far as God's people are concerned, biblical worship is a source of great enjoyment. But that's not the purpose. The purpose of religious worship is for the glory of God. And for God's glory alone. And God takes worship very, very, very seriously. Worship, or worthship, is an indication of the worth that we place on God. Infinite worth. So, let us be very careful 
but how we come into the worship service and conduct ourselves throughout the time of worship. Worship or worship. So our great enemy is the great perverter of worship or the usurper of worship. Let us, brethren, be preservers, not perverters, but preservers of pure worship. The Father seeketh such today. He's in this very assembly, the Spirit of God, and he's seeking from heart to heart. He is seeking for true worship in this assembly this hour. Let us worship him in spirit. Sincere, spiritual worship from the heart. Let us worship him in truth, scriptural worship. And let us body, mind, and soul worship God in our singing. We heard about good singing in our prayer time before the meeting today. And we rejoice in the hearty, the hearty singing of the saints of God, especially the song. Can we go any higher than the Psalms, so far as our music are concerned? No. The actual word of God. So let us worship him, the entire man, engaged, body, heart, soul, and mind, in our singing, in our praying, coming as one man to the common altar, as the minister prays, God's people praying along with him. It is an act of worship. What about giving? It's an act of worship. All that I have has come from thee. Lord, you can take it all. You can take 90% and leave me with 10. But you're only asking for 10 and leaving me with 90. This is a great act of worship as we place our tithes and offerings into the offering plate. A great privilege. Reading the word of God. What, what, what a worship time this is as we gather around the word of God, especially for the preaching of that precious word. The Lord alone might be pleased to fill his house with his glorious presence and richly bless his people. It's my prayer that the Lord himself will help us to walk humbly. Since I've had this stroke, I can tell you my self-confidence has been essentially removed. Not completely, but essentially. And things I never thought I would have any difficulty with, I now have difficulty. And I believe that one of the great purposes of God in this is to humble me. To show me that without him I can do nothing. I can't get up in this pulpit to preach. Without the help of God. This is something we need to learn. And I tell you, from my own experience, God hates pride. He hates it with a holy passion. He cannot bless an instrument lifted up with pride. It must be empty, emptied of self and of sin and filled with all the fullness of God. Let us pray God will help us to learn. We need the help of God to learn to walk humbly with our God, giving him all the glory, not keeping even 1% for ourselves, but all the glory that he so richly deserves. I always enjoy coming to the worship times. I'm not so much in the pulpit now, I'm more in the pew. And I've been blessed as I've come to this work and witness. 
coming to a place where Christ's name is exalted, where the Psalms are still sung, where the word of God is still proclaimed, and the stand upon God's truth is taken. May you cherish these times. May your times of worship be hallowed times. Times of heaven upon earth. That's the way God intends it. That's what God wants to give you today. Heaven upon earth. For the glory of God. Let us pray. God will help us in these times of worship and praise. To give him nothing, nothing less than our very, very best. For on the basis of Calvary, he deserves that and far, far more, he says. I trust the Lord will take his word today, these few thoughts, and make them profitable to our hearts and souls.